nature we visited, revisit. On this episode, Benjamin Vogt, A New Garden Ethic, we are pleased to be sharing the interview we had with Benjamin for his first book, A New Garden Ethic, as we prepare to feature Benjamin again on Nature Revisited in January for his new book, Prairie Up. In this interview, Benjamin talks about why we need to change the way we garden. In his new book, Prairie Up, he shares with us how we can change the way we garden. I hope you enjoy this edition of Nature Revisited Revisit and will join us in January for Benjamin Vogt, Prairie Up. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. Our world is asking for gardens to be more, to light the way to a new relationship with nature, to be radical in their roots and their blooms. That is an excerpt from Benjamin Vogt's book, A New Garden Ethic. Benjamin Vogt lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, in the heart of the American prairie where he finds inspiration for native, plant, prairie-inspired garden designs. He is a strong advocate for the native plant movement, which is starting to take root in the American garden. As gardeners, we all must realize that our gardens are not, nor should they be, places just for us. We need to start addressing the needs of other species and plants right in our gardens. In his book, Benjamin addresses these issues and makes the case for native plants, for native species, for rethinking our approach to the living planet, that we need a new garden ethic. How are you today? I'm good. I finished your book, and every page I read is underlined. I really enjoyed reading your book. Thank you. Um, Let's start first by getting a little bit of your background. And how did you find your way to Lincoln, Nebraska? How did I find my way to Lincoln, Nebraska, and how am I still here? That's the $2 million question. I was born in Oklahoma City. I lived 10 years there, and my family moved up to Minnesota, and I was there through high school. Then I did a bachelor's down at the University of Evansville in southern Indiana and a master's at Ohio State. And I came out to Nebraska for my Ph.D. and I've sort of been here ever since. I guess I've been in Nebraska for 17 years now. So when did you first start showing an interest in nature and in particular the prairie? You know, I think the, the, the prairie has come more through my knowledge, experience, and appreciation of using native prairie plants in my garden. I I never really gardened until we moved into this house in 2007, and I told my wife, hey, I want to start a garden. And I just, I did, I started big at 1,500 square feet. I just went nuts. Actually, it's probably closer to 2,000 square feet. But I was out there for like eight, nine hours a day in the blistering sun, digging away. Over time, I started to observe what what wildlife was was using 
uh, which specific plants and how they were using them, and that, that led me down to native plants, and that led me to being a 100% native plant gardener and learning about the larger ecosystem that these plants and wildlife come from, and that, that got me into prairie and the very dire threat that prairie ecosystems are under, and along with the prairie grasses and the flowers, the wildlife that are, that are using them are under a lot of duress as well. Did your parents garden? Oh yeah, my mom. My mom was a pretty avid gardener, so I would tag along with her occasionally to the nursery, mostly just to sort of get out of the house a little bit. I, I didn't know anything about plants, and I would sometimes help my mom plant out in the garden just because it was enjoyable for a little bit of time. I was I was never the kid who was really into video games or or staying inside. I at least wanted to be sitting outside somewhere. But you know, I don't. I can't really say with confidence that I learned that I learned anything from my mother, other than just just a general appreciation for plants and flowers and, and being outside. So let's go to your book, A New Garden Ethic. What brought you to write the book? Anger. Uh, that's I, grief, grief and anger, trying to process my grief for, for what I was witnessing and what I was experiencing, seeing in my garden, what I was learning about as far as prairie destruction and conversion to croplands. And one day... I'm the kind of writer where now I, I I can plan out things and plan out a book and write it, but I think sometimes my best writing, my most my most evocative writing, just comes out spur of the moment, and then I can edit it further and make it sharper. So one day I surprised myself and I wrote a series of blog posts that was just saying, "Hey, we need to be using native plants. This is insane and ridiculous that we're using anything but them, given the state of wildlife and the state of habitat loss. There's no excuse to be using other plants that privilege just humans." over wildlife and over wild places. I mean so so right there is the gist of a new garden ethic. We need to look at our we need to look at our design spaces and those are usually in urban areas and they're usually further in our backyards and front yards, our gardens. We need to rethink these design spaces as spaces not primarily for us, but primarily for the wildlife around us that give us our health and sort of give us our, our good fortune to have evolved into the creatures we are now today because our, our, our resilience and our health is based on how healthy the insects and bugs around us are and the spiders and the wasps and the birds and the snakes and all those good things. So a new garden, I think, is about gardening for other species before us, if not at least alongside us, 50-50. Why do gardens matter then, and, and why are they important? The gardens matter for, for some of the reasons I've, I've, I've just stated. It's, it's about thinking about that we are in a period of, of mass extinction right now, and we are the cause of that mass extinction. We we have converted so much of the landscapes around us, certainly in urban areas where it's just monocultures of lawn and lots of asphalt, but certainly also in rural areas where it's monocultures of, of, of grain crops, soybeans and corn and wheat. So we have converted so much. We have taken away so much from the other cultures on this planet, the cultures of, again, insects, bugs, birds, and spiders, we need to find a way to, to give back to them, to, to make a stand for them, because it is very much about social justice for other species and letting those other species have a voice within our dominant culture. We have altered the planet so much. You think about how much CO2 is in the atmosphere. What is it, 415, 420 parts per million? But there is not one square inch left on the planet that has not in some way been fundamentally altered by our presence on this planet. So in that way, everything is a garden because we have touched everything. We have manipulated everything for our purposes. 
I know our traditional idea of a garden is this nice little flower patch outside the back door, but I think it's it's bigger than that, especially when you think about that tiny flower patch being connected to other tiny flower patches and being connected to a river or a woodland or a prairie that's that's down the road. There's all this interconnected habitat and all these habitat corridors. So a garden, garden's out the back door, a garden's a farm field, garden is a park, garden is a front yard that you mow, garden is a desert, I mean, it's everything. Why do native plants matter? I mean, why are they important? So many species have evolved to use native plants. We know m- most most famously monarch butterflies laying their eggs on milkweed plants. They can only, their larvae, their caterpillars can only use milkweed. And we have these kind of relationships with a, with, with a lot of insect and bug species. They Even with bees, there are, there are specialist bees who will only use the pollen of specific flowers that can be species or family or genera of flowers. So they will time their emergence. So the so these specialist bees' lifetime might only be two, three, four weeks long, and they are timing their emergence from the nest uh, to to coincide when a specific plant is flowering because they, they need that specific pollen from that plant in order to reproduce and feed their young back in the new nest that they establish. So we have all these complex relationships where organisms have evolved over millennia, tens of thousand years, even hundreds of thousand years with native plants. So native plants are incredibly important and in ways we don't even fully understand. I know for a lot of people, just the question is, what is a native plant can be somewhat confusing. The plant that grows in New England and the one that grows in Nebraska, are they both native plants and can both of them go into my garden? No, I'll just say no. (laughs) I think New England aster is native to both of us. So we could each plant that in our gardens. The goal here is to be using a New England aster whose um, genetic makeup is is local. So it's from the local ecoregion, it's a local ecotype or genotype, because that's what's best evolved to grow in, in, in the specific region. So if you take a New England aster whose who seed source and you know whose biologic history is here from eastern Nebraska and put it in New England, it, it it will grow in a different way. It might it might fail or it might go gangbusters. I don't know, but and you have a plant that's native to you in New England. I have a native plant that's native to me in Nebraska. You know, we don't want to switch those. I do not want to be using something that's native to southern New Mexico in, in, in Nebraska where we have more rain because the thing is just going to get inundated with water and, and probably die. Certainly might not have the specialist relationships with fauna and wildlife that, that it needs to procreate up here. Quickly, what do you think of the great interest that Europe is showing towards the prairie plants. Yeah, I, th- I I think there's there's positives and there's negatives. And I think the positive is that when well, you think about Kingsbury and and, and Pete Outdoff, uh-huh. you know, Outdoff has has certainly drawn a lot of positive attention to our native prairie plants and and how to use them in designs that are very evocative and aesthetically beautiful. I don't know if they're ecologically beautiful, but they're definitely aesthetically beautiful and are working more in a, a, a nature-based system than, than having just three feet of mulch in a plant. Our native prairie plants in Europe, are they as beneficial as they are here in our, in our prairie and meadows? Probably not. They, of course, have some benefit. They're going to be feeding generalist bee species who will take pollen from any plant, but that the ecological interactions and the history of those interactions aren't aren't going to be in Europe as they are here in the native range of those species. 
Why is nature so important to the urban setting? We have this psychological balancing, the sense of peace and order when we experience nature and walk with nature and and just even just sit on the bench and see a butterfly flying past us or, or hear a bird in the trees above us. There's there's a lot of uh, psychological triggers that that occur in us and heal us because we are we are a wild species. We we evolved with wildness and we need wildness and when we take it out of urban areas we, we create this a lot of a lot of psychological unhinging imbalance. Now, of course, having a diversity of, of plantings in urban areas, not just lawns, but having this diversity is going to clean the air. So we're going to have you know, cleaner air. We're not going to be getting sick as much. We'll be able to clean the water, any runoff that's coming off the streets when you can have a diverse underplanting of prairie or meadow and then shrubs and trees. Uh, you're going to be cooling buildings. You're going to reduce that heat island effect. We want to keep ourselves cool so we can reduce energy costs when we're shading buildings and keeping the environment cool or in urban areas, which is also going to re- reduce how much how much CO2 is going in the atmosphere, right? Because we're not having to generate as much electricity. So there are innumerable benefits to having uh, complex and, and dense and diverse plantings in urban areas. Why is wildness so important? I always think about the... Bio, biophilia theory or hypothesis that we have this innate love for for nature and for wildness and that when we can't experience that love we we feel we feel disconnected from ourselves from the people we love from the things that we do in our lives just just from the general places we find ourselves in and that and that disconnection can lead to a lot of psychological problems and uh, anger ill health um, depression there's been so many studies saying that when you just walk outside in a natural area or even 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 a, a really nice garden for 20 minutes or so, your your stress levels just just plummet. So I think you're right, and it, it's 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 wildness. It's not it's not crazy crazy wild. You're not going out. When we have wildness in urban areas, it's not about just letting things go and letting weeds have their way necessarily. It's having designed spaces that have a purpose, and and the purpose again is to is to clean is to clean the environment, provide habitat for for bees and birds and butterflies, and and provide a space for us to commune with these species and and, and learn from them and understand them. And, and there are there are some Native American cultures who believe that we used to speak the language of of all kinds of different species we share um, the country with, but we've lost that ability to know that language and speak with these species over time. And I think that's, you know, that speaks to how we need to rewild all of our urban areas desperately before it's too late. So you say in your book, your garden is a protest. It's a place of defiant compassion. Yeah. So I, I have had multiple weed ordinance notifications because I, I have tall plants and I converted my entire front yard to design prairie gardens. So if you look down my street, if you see pictures on my Facebook or Instagram pages and you look down the street, you see it's just everybody has monoculture lawns. They probably don't even have any foundation beds and you're lucky if they have a street tree in the hell strip. And then you look at my garden and it looks, by comparison, totally nuts, right? But I think... You know, when I look at this space, when I see it, when I'm out there feeling it, I understand that it is an activist-based garden. It is totally different than the landscape around us. 
it, it has a purpose that says, hey, this space is not just for me. There are, there are all kinds of species around us that we marginalize and say are, not, are, are lesser than us. We, we spray our landscapes with all kinds of chemicals to keep wasps away from us without understanding their life cycles and the benefit to the ecosystem to get rid of pests that are even more dangerous. And so, so these gardens are, are definitely a sort of act, activism, and they are definitely a compassion for these species that we marginalize and kill and this habitat we take away from them. So I'm saying if, if we can start to understand these species and learn their language a little bit, we will develop a compassion that can help us understand each other and help and heal each other, whether those issues are, are, are about classism or racism or sexism. And you speak of language, which is where I was going to go next. You know, when I when I'm sitting outside, I I used to be terrified of when I when I heard an insect buzzing by because I knew it was a bee and I knew it was going to come after me. And I think a lot of us, most of us, are raised with that response. Our parents say, "Oh, watch out! You know, there's a bee coming. Got to be careful. I need to swat at it or kill it or something or run away." But when I'm sitting outside now, I know the difference between a fly and a bee and a wasp when they're flying by my head. I, I, I can tell by the pitch, right? So that, that, that's the kind of language I think I'm, I, I'm talking about. It's, it's a very rudimentary language. When we're outside and we, we, we touch a leaf or we touch the snow, that act of, of touch, it just breaks down walls instantly, shatters those walls instantly, and you are immediately enraptured and brought into the fold of the wildness around you slowly but surely. And if you do that enough times, you know, your life has fundamentally changed until the day you die. Um, I want to just talk to you about how, in your own words, you became a prairie hugger. Yes, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm a prairie hugger. It's it's a little harder because the grasses bend and flex and all that stuff. So it's not, not quite as stable. But yes, I am a prairie. I am a prairie hugger, and that means I want to do what I can, not only to conserve and restore prairie ecosystems, but to raise awareness about them and others. Right now, for me, the primary way to do that is to create urban landscapes that are sort of a bridge between the highly designed aesthetic of what we expect the urban garden to be and the sort of wilder aesthetic we see when we're out in a prairie and experience. I pray. I want to. I want to create a bridge between the two, and hopefully, some of the species will come in, especially the winged species who can fly those distances. But I want us to understand that the prairie is valuable. You know, our state capital here in Lincoln, Nebraska, is, is surrounded by lawn that's watered daily and probably mowed eight times a day from from the way it looks. But the original plans for the for the state capital uh, called for prairie to be around it. Because it was it was a celebration of where we are, where we're from, and, and and who we are, and how can you have that if you don't have the plants and the wildlife and their and the and the interactions there? And how can you possibly celebrate, love, admire, and know your home place without the plants that are native to that region? One of the things that I I really loved in your book was when you described how you would sometimes walk into the prairie. I would really like you to to share with my audience your love for the prairie and the importance of it. It's 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 a strange feeling when you when you walk out into prairie. Actually I actually wrote about this in a May June article of the American Gardener. 
when I walk out, I mean, there's, there's usually nobody else in a prairie. Even, even the local urban prairie I have, it's a couple hundred acres. It's usually just me, my wife, and my son walking along. But when you walk out there, it's, it's, it's this immense silence. It's this different, different place. And you feel, you feel like you've been there before. You feel like you've been there a long, long time ago. Maybe, maybe it's almost amniotic or, 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 or womb-like and, there's there's this silence immediately. There aren't people talking to you. You don't really hear any planes or cars. But then after a while, you you notice it's not really silence. It's this incredible, it's this, it's this incredible noise. This incredible conversation and chorus that's going on because you start to hear locusts and, and cicadas and dick thistles calling in in the brush and everything just sort of drains away from you and you feel incredibly vulnerable and almost nervous and anxious and then you realize that's how you're supposed to feel that's that's how you're going to be opened up to the power and and the other species that are out here communicating with one another and that will hopefully allow them to communicate with you my family and i were actually just just walking the closest prairie to us a week or two ago and God, it was it was it was right before lunch. We did not expect to see any megafauna out there, but then all of a sudden this deer comes leaping through the the tall grass, you know, about 50 yards away or something. We clearly spooked it from eating, and there it just it goes leaping. So you had you had essentially what what is this this negative space, this unending plain before you, where the grasses are only about two or three feet tall in June, and and then to have this this other creature who has emotions and feelings very similar to your own just compounding through 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 this space just made that creature feel more more powerful and more resonant than if i saw it in a zoo or saw a picture of it or or, or something i had to experience its habitat connect with it in its habitat to understand how alike we are native plants are a threat to an entire western culture an entire industry built foremost on nature as ornamental for human consumption. Love that quote. No, I'll go for it. I'm jumping yeah. in. That idea of native plants again, it, when we go to a nursery to get plants, it's a moment of awe for us. We see, oh, that plant's cool. Look at those leaves. Look at that bloom type or color. I want that in my garden. I want that statue on the pedestal in my landscape. We don't stop to think, okay, that's a pretty plant to me, but who is who else is it pretty to? What what species is it pretty to? Who, who who's going to be using the leaves? What caterpillars are going to be eating it? What insects are going to be coming for the pollen? And is it good pollen? Is it good nutrition? That that radical comes from using native plant species that that fauna need and have to have and, and, and recognize. And we have to have landscapes that do show their wilder roots and use them in an aesthetic way that is is at least somewhat pleasing to to people so that they understand and, and respect the wildness around them we we have to get away from monocultures of lawn there's they're just so destructive and, and so poisonous and such a waste of resources we take big risks when we pull up our front lawn and put in a prairie inspired landscape no matter how how designed it looks and put together it looks we take a huge risk because you're gonna you're gonna stand out, right? It's it's the same thing with with with, with any sort of activism. You're you're calling attention to an issue that you know is important, and you wish that other people knew was important, so that together you could act on it because it matters a lot to all of us. 
There's not a day that goes by I don't look out my front window and expect to see an orange sign on a stake saying that I've been reported to weed control. I have great anxiety even though I've converted 90% of my one-quarter acre suburban lot to, to meadow and prairie gardens. It's just, it's just a lot of risk, but we have to take the risk. We have to have more examples of wilder, naturalistic-based gardens in urban suburban areas for us to start making a change and understanding what we have to do. It's, we can't fit in anymore. One of the questions people always ask me is, do our, do our gardens matter? And I always want to say yes. It's how we bring beauty and wildness to other people is by creating urban gardens. So I think the greatest power that gardens have is just waking us to wildness and other species so that we're not only converting our home lawns to something more sustainable and biodiverse, but we're thinking, okay, this is great, but it's not nearly enough. I need to start advocating for these much larger spaces outside of urban areas and make an even bigger difference. What can we do? How can we uh, how, how can we have prairie strips going through farm fields? How can we have more shelter belts? How can we restore used up agricultural land in, in the prairie or, or woodland or wh whatever it is, wherever you are? So you say you're working on another book? Yes, I'm trying to with, the, with a very loud toddler. It's, What's your new book about? It is an introductory uh, basic guide to starting a naturalistic garden using native plants. It's for people who look at a wilder design landscape and think, boy, that's beautiful, but I just, I just don't know where to start. I don't, I don't know the plants. I don't know how they lock together. I don't know how to layer. I don't know how to manage a space that isn't all about fertilizer and wood mulch. For people wanting to get away from unsustainable gardening, where it's three feet of wood mulch in a plant and three feet of wood mulch in a plant, you know, where where do you start from square one? What is a native plant? Where do you find these native plants? How do you put them in a design that's ecological and aesthetically pleasing, especially to people who would call weed control on you? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Benjamin Vogt and that you will read this important book, A New Garden Ethic and visit his website, monarchguard.com, and sign up for his newsletter. And I hope you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues, and subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com. If you would like to share your thoughts or comments, please send them to us through our website contact page, and we will share them on our Instagram page. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. <laughs>